right, good morning. I do want to uh, say about the uh, meet and greet, uh, where's LaRose? Wave at me, right there, down front. LaRose did such a good job, but um, I know I'm going to share later about our group. We had a wonderful group. And um, if you are looking for a way to connect, I love the meet and greet because it's not forever. It's just for a few months, and uh, you'll get an opportunity to meet and uh, fellowship together, and just a wonderful, wonderful way to do that. All right, today, book of Isaiah. We begin a new study in the book of Isaiah, and I am excited about this. I love the book of Isaiah. It is the gospel of the Old Testament. And I have given you some reading material. (laughs) I've uh, given you a lot. Someone told me they said, Boy, preacher, you gave us so much, we're going to have reading material all week. And you might have it there. I do want to thank Dr. Warren Wearsby. I pulled most of that from his material. I do find the book of Isaiah interesting for a lot of reasons. One... He is a prophet to the kings. And uh, you'll find in verse number 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, all the different kings that he ministered to. Also in the book of Isaiah, we find that uh, Isaiah chapter 1 through 39 deals with the threat of the Assyrian Empire. And you know the Assyrians in 722 B.C. conquered the northern kingdom. But then, in chapter 40 to the end of the book, you find a switch. Isaiah then, maybe it's Isaiah, maybe it's his protege or another prophet, but under the title of Isaiah, between 40 to the end, you find a switch to Babylon. And so it really deals with these two major empires that threatened Israel. Isaiah, we're going to find in chapter 6, got his call to the ministry during the reign of Uzziah in the year that King Uzziah died. And so he became the prophet at that time. We do find that Isaiah was martyred. He uh, paid the price and was martyred in a very gruesome way. There are a lot of ways you may choose to die, but Isaiah was sawed in two. Yuck, that's right, was sawed asunder. And so died a very violent death. The end of Hebrews chapter 11 chronicles a long list of heroes of the faith and mentions those sawn asunder. Isaiah, even though he was a court Preacher. And I, I think that's an interesting thing. Isaiah evidently had access to the White House of the day. And uh, he was the uh, presidential, the king's preacher. And so when the preacher needed prayer, Isaiah was there to pray. And when the king needed prayer, Isaiah was there to pray. And so this prophet of God ministered to the reigns of the kings found in chapter 1, verse 1. And let's look at these guys. Uzziah, 
Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And again, that's in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Isaiah chapter 1 begins by talking about an invitation to cleansing. What is, what's the greatest invitation that you've ever had? Academy Awards, all right. That's a biggie, all right. What's another great? Yes, Kirby. The Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. Amen. The Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. All the women here, probably you had an invitation one day to get married, all right. That, that was a great invitation. Maybe you sent out an invitation to a 50th wedding anniversary, something like that. We all remember great invitations. Sometimes I've had invitations that I don't want to keep. Like when a dentist sends you an invitation saying it's time for your cleaning. I did that last week. Boy, don't you hate when they scrape your teeth. And then they bring out all those little neat instruments. Makes you cringe, doesn't it? Ah, invitation. We were talking earlier today about flu shots. How many have had your flu shot? Okay, next Sunday we're separating the crowd. All of the non-flu shot people over here and those who've had a flu shot over here, we don't want to be contaminated. Dr. Wendell Eastead, because he's afraid of needles, has not had a flu shot, so stay away from him. Don't shake his hand today. Well, we all have different invitations. In the Easton Bible Dictionary, it says that the name Isaiah means the salvation of Jehovah. So, here is a prophet that his very name means salvation. The verses leading up to the one verse we're going to look at today, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 is the focal text. But in Isaiah chapter 1, 1 through 17, these verses leading up to verse 18 chronicle the sins of Israel. But I want to jump forward and read verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. This is the one we're going to take apart and deal with. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Well, what a great invitation that is. In the Message Bible, Isaiah 1.18 reads like this, Come, sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Oh, what a 
invitation that is. Now, look at the sins of the people leading up to that invitation. Verse number 3. I'm sorry, let's begin verse 2. Verse 2. Verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against Me. Here is God saying, I'm like your father, and I have been like a father raising you like sons, but you have rebelled, you have revolted against Me. They were in rebellion against the Lord. Look at verse 3. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So in verse 3, they refused to acknowledge God. In fact, here's what God said about them. He said, you're dumber than a farm animal. That's what you are. Dumber than a farm animal. Alright, look at verse 4. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. So, in verse number 4, you find that they provoked God to anger. And something else interesting there. In verse number 4, it says they are offspring of evildoers. There is a truth that sin, although it is not hereditary by choice, it is by nature. We are all sinners by nature. Down deep inside every person, there is a nature to do what is wrong, not what is right. Now, the sins we choose to commit may be different. But by nature, we are all sinners. Someone was talking about the uh, people running for, you know, for president. And I said, well, they're all sinners. They all are. By nature and by choice. And that's really what it's saying here in verse 4. We are offspring of evildoers. Alright, 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Now verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. Not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. You know what I think about when I read those two verses? I think about how that it is possible to sin with almost every part of your body. I mean, from the top of your head all the way down to your foot, you can commit some type of sin. Have you ever been angry and uh, maybe wanted to punch a wall? Now, that's not good for your hand, but have you ever been angry and wanted to go out and kick a can? Have you ever been angry and wanted to say to a golf ball down there, you are Lamar. Bam! Just hit that golf ball. 
picked on you, Lamar, alright? Oh, we all have different ways of dealing with anger, but the Bible says here, with the whole body, it is possible to sin. Alright, 7 and 8. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. So, in 7 and 8 it says the land is filled with violence. We can think about our day and time. Violence in the land. They had so many murders years ago in New Orleans that the mayor said, let's put up signs around the city quoting the book of Exodus that says, Thou shall not kill. Someone said, has it come to that? Yes, it's come to that. That we need to put the Bible back out there and honor human life. Now, in our day and time, it's not just abortion, but it's also the end of life. We need to honor life whether it's in the womb or whether it's in the nursing home. We need to honor life today from the beginning of life to the very end of life. Time after time after time, I'll go through a nursing facility and I'll say, when is the last time a family member came to this place? Oh, boy, we neglect the elderly, don't we? We really, really do. Alright, let me move on. 9 and 10. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So in 9 and 10, what does... Isaiah, what does God say? He says, you're like Sodom and Gomorrah. That was not a compliment. He says, you are vile and wretched, just like the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in 11 through 15, we find in verses 11 through 15, God talks about their religious services. You know, if God came to church on Sunday, and I hope God shows up today, but if God came to church on Sunday, and you know, if God had to evaluate worship, and the truth is, He does that every Sunday, doesn't He? God evaluates our worship. Someone one time said, Boy, you were preaching to the crowd today. I said, no, I was preaching to the audience of one today. And He's on the throne. Folks, He's the audience every single Sunday. Well, let, let's look at what happened here. Verses 11 through 15. What are your multiplied sacrifices to Me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. So according to verse 11, God said, I am sick 
and tired of your worthless sacrifices. I'll tell you, our sacrifice may not be a lamb on the altar, but during the week we are called to sacrifice our bodies, our lives to the Lord. God said He doesn't want second best. Look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Verse 13. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assemblies. There in verse number 13, God said, I cannot endure. I can take it no longer. God in love and mercy and grace provides ways of forgiveness, ways of reconciliation. But I want to remind you, God does have a line. God does have a boundary. And that's what this is saying. Alright, let, let, let's go on. Verse 14, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. Verse 15, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. How low could they go? They went to the point that God said, when you pray, covering my eyes, covering my ears, God said, I cannot stand to listen to your prayers any longer. Boy, how desperately wicked could they be? Well, here's the good news. In verses 16, 17, 18. Let's read 16 and 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from My sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And then this wonderful invitation, verse 18. God says, come now and let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Boy, is God not a God of grace? Is God not a God of forgiveness? As wicked, as vile as they were, God held up this wonderful invitation. And He still does today, doesn't He? In our world today full of sin and violence, just like they were so much like Sodom and Gomorrah, we are too. God holds up this invitation. So, people will not seek the Lord unless they are sought by the Lord first. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What Kirby mentioned a while ago. No one comes to Christ unless there is the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Something down inside of us draws us to Christ, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. People will not love the Lord until they are first loved by Him. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. And so, here's the contrast. Vile wickedness of man. The holiness of God. And that holy God invites us to come to Him. So, in verse 18, there are four points in this invitation. I want to run through these. All right, number one, the intensity of this invitation. The intensity of it. You find one word that shows the intensity. It's the word come. Come. God says, come to me. Again, the the message Bible says, come, sit down. Come and sit down. The intensity there. Oh, the word come is a word that is an imperative. It's really a command. God says, I command you to come. Now. now. <laughs> have, have you ever been in a place where someone said to you, come and sit down and listen to me? I've been there. I've been there. Anyone? Go ahead, Sylvia. Sure. Verse 19. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. Oh man, that's right. That's a reward for being faithful and coming to the Lord. Thank you, Sylvia. That, that's great. But you know, the invitation to come deals with people being responsive and heeding the command. And you and I sometimes have voices out there that say, come, do this, do that, come and sit down. I, I was in high school during the 70s. Any, anyone in high school in the 1970s? Alright, we've got some older people here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Anybody in the 60s? Alright, great, great, great. I'm not going back further than that. <laughs> I got hands up. We'll just say, anyone further back than that? All right. Like the preacher, can I get a witness here? But you know, in the 1960s and 70s, they, they had this uh, thing about, about protesting. And, uh, you know, especially in the 60s, man, there were protests everywhere. People would take it to the street. And uh, so I thought one time I'd try that. And. Uh, so I was in high school. Now, I'm not recommending this, alright? But I was in high school and uh, we had a band teacher that got fired. Now, I loved him. I was in band and they walked in. They said, you know, this band teacher had been dismissed. And uh, it was about halfway through the year. I think it was in uh, March, actually. And so, for the rest of the year, we were going to have a substitute. So I thought, well, man, I, I don't like that, and, uh, and I, I want my band teacher back. And so uh, I thought, well, I'll just lead a student protest. <laughs> so I said, 2 o'clock in the afternoon next week, we'll have a walkout. 
And then I thought, well, man, I know how to do this here. I'll, I'll go down to the local newspaper. And so I went down to the newspaper, and I got a reporter, and he was going to be up at the school. And so, I, man, I'm out there with a sign, you know. We want our band teacher back. And I had a group of students out there, and we all had a good time until uh, the next day. And uh, the next day, uh, I got uh, to class, and uh, the principal's waiting on me. And uh, he said, two o'clock today, I want you to come and be in my office. Well, I was there at two o'clock and it wasn't just the principal, it was the whole school board. <laughs> and uh, boy, they lit into me, they tore me up. And justifiably, I mean, I'd, I'd gotten out there kind of loose and... Uh, but you know, sometimes we, we need someone strong in discipline to say, come, sit down, listen, because you have gone astray in your life. I am grateful for those times in my life when someone got a hold of me and said, you've gotten a little loose and you need to come back to reality. My wife does that for me now. And so... Uh, I'm glad for those people that can rein me in. You know what? I didn't have beads and sandals, but I did wear something called a dickie. Y'all remember the dickie? It was a fake mock turtleneck thing that guys wore back then. And I had a psychedelic shirt that looked like a stained glass window. And they had these big puffy sleeves. I had that too. Big, sounds like a hippie, doesn't it? Big bell-bottom, you know, slacks, so, uh, yeah. I had big hair too. Uh, <laughs> you know David Cassidy, I look just like him. Oh. Uh, you know what? That's funny, Gene. I, I brought pictures last week because someone said they wanted to see my, uh, my high school pictures. I, I brought some last week. So, Was it Gene or Kathy that said that? Someone over there. Did you say it, Kathy? All right. I, I did bring pictures last week. Anyway, uh, where in the world am I? I know where I am. Come. The intensity of the invitation. Now, Verse number 15. Go back to verse 15. Let's look at that. Verse 15 is the verse that says, when you put your hands together in prayer, God said, I'll hide my eyes. Uh, God says, I will not listen though you stand there all day long and pray. You know, the understanding of God is greater than man. And sometimes we think because... Now listen to me, this will be good. We think because we have a lot of words to say, that makes our prayer great. That ain't so. You can sometimes have a lot of words, but if the heart is not right, it's good for nothing. God would rather have fewer words with a right heart than a lot of words. A flowery prayer from a heart that's impure. Now, we got to move on. Number two. 
Second thing about this invitation, not only the intensity, but number two, the immediacy. The immediacy of the invitation. The word now. Verse 18, come now. Right now. It is the immediacy, the command to come now that is so precious because time is so precious. Last Friday we had the memorial service for Roger Bucko. Roger was such a dear, sweet man and dear, sweet man that at 90 years of age got baptized. I thought to myself, I'm glad he did that before time expired for his life. Time is precious. Sometimes we... We make a couple of mathematical mistakes. We misjudge the shortness of life. And we misjudge the length of eternity. Dr. W.A. Criswell used to have an illustration about the length of eternity. He said, if planet Earth was one giant rock, a wit rock, and a bird came here one time every thousand years to sharpen its beak. By the time this world, this rock dissolved, that would be a moment in eternity. Boy, now just get your mind around all that. If the world was a rock, a bird came here one time every 1,000 years to sharpen its beak. By the time the world dissolved, that would be a drop in the bucket of eternity. Boy, eternity. What's the old song say? Where time shall be no more. Yeah, we run on the clock here. God doesn't do that. God has His own timetable. So, immediacy. Come now. Alright, let's move on. Number three. Number three. By the way, before I hit number three, that Proverbs 27.1 is a great verse on there. Proverbs 27.1 Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Great, great verse on immediacy. Alright, number three. Third thing about this invitation, it is intimate. The intimacy of the invitation. God says, let us reason together. I like the message as far as it being plain spoken. The message Bible says, let's argue this out. Now here's God. On the throne, God says to all of us, I want you to come to me. We're going to reason together. We're going to argue this out. But literally, here's what it says. We're going to have a courtroom drama where you're going to sit down and I'm going to bring charges against you. Have you ever got your mind around the fact that Jesus, when He died on the cross, He died for all the sin 
of all the world going all the way back to Adam to the last person who will ever live. I cannot imagine how many sins that would be. Get your mind around this. When He died for you on the cross, He died for all of your sins, all the way back to birth, all the way to the end of your life. How many would that be? Well, if you just wanted to calculate ten sins a day, and I know some of you, you can beat that, all right? (laughs) But you know what? When God puts you down in front of Him, you're going to be in agreement. Because God is just and God is fair and God is righteous. But I am so glad for the intimate way that God deals with me. You know the old hymn in the garden? He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. When I blow it, when I mess up, and when I sin, there is an intimacy where God says, you belong to Me. All of those sins I nailed to My cross. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Wow! The intimacy of this is that God wants us to reason together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20 says that we can come and sup together. We can come and, you know, He stands at the door and knocks. And we can have this intimate fellowship. Alright, got to move on. Number four. Fourth and last. There is an incredible aspect of this invitation. The incredibility is this. If your sins are as scarlet they can be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Have you ever seen color transformed? 1971. My mom went to a garage sale. You know, people like garage sales. Now, I know a lot of you here in the room, you like to go to those garage sales. Now me, you know, I, I try to get rid of stuff. I don't want to go and buy more stuff. But there are some people that find wonderful bargains at garage sales. My mom in 1971 found a bargain. She bought a desk for $10. $10 desk. It was orange and green. Someone had painted that desk orange and painted it green. It was that avocado green that people used to paint everything kind of an avocado. You know, there was even refrigerators and stoves that were avocado years ago. Y'all remember that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And so, Mama brought that home and said, Rick, I've got you a brand new desk. And I looked at that thing. I said, that is the ugliest piece of furniture I've ever seen in my life. Mom said, I'm not done with it yet. So she took it and sanded it. Varnished it. Put some nice 
nice piece of glass on top and said, what do you think now? I said, well, I think it's beautiful now. And that same desk is still in my office, in my apartment. Some of you have seen it. And that desk I've had for all of these years, and I was there last, last night with my feet propped up on that desk. You know what? When someone you love transforms something, it's valuable to you. God changed and transformed my life to the point that my sins that were scarlet are white as snow and I'm valuable to the Lord today because He touched me. Man, what an what a incredible, fascinating, wonderful statement this is. Isaiah Chapter 64, verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. But God transformed that. Let me close by reminding you of an old invitation hymn. Billy Graham had the same invitation hymn sung every time, every service, every crusade, just as I am. Someone asked him one time, said, don't you think you need a different invitation hymn? Don't you need to change that up? Billy Graham said, why? I like the one I've got. God calls us just like we are. But He loves us enough not to let us stay that way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You today for Your wonderful Word, for this great invitation. Father, I pray today we can live like Your children, live like the people that You've redeemed. And Lord, I thank You that You came into my life and took the scarlet, the redness of my sins, transformed that into something as white as snow. Praise be to the Lamb of God. In His name I pray. Amen. Thank you all.